Heavenly Father, thank you for these families. God, thank you for, for the sacrifice. Thank you for the heartbeat. Thank you for the selflessness shown from the individual overseas or wherever they were. Father, thank you for the selflessness and sacrifice from these families that agreed to send their loved ones. Lord Jesus, we thank you because we see the clear picture of sacrifice for freedom. We see in them a picture of Jesus Christ. And today we want to honor that sacrifice. We pray that you would bless every single family represented here today. Fathers, they think about that loved one today and as they walk through the loss of that today, Lord, would you walk beside them, comfort them, give them your grace, help them, Father, to see the incredible sacrifice that was made and to even celebrate in it today. Lord, we thank you for men and women that are willing to do this. We bless you and we thank you for our freedoms and everything that you've given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, Lord, would you speak to us, teach us and train us from your word. Open up our hearts, speak through me, listen through all of these in this room today and help us to become more like you. We love you and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, we're continuing a series today uh, called Open Your Eyes. We're kind of camping out in Isaiah chapter 58. And um, it's been pretty incredible for me. <laughs> I hope that Jesus has been speaking something to you. But he sure has been to me. And today we're going to continue. Um, most of you know that I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. And I still care very much about next-gen ministry and the next generation. And, and I want our church to be a place where they have a voice and have a seat and they're part of what's going on here. But I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. And I started in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And um, a lot of crazy stuff happens when you're a youth pastor. And I remember one night I was sitting there and I was getting ready to speak to the youth group and, and, and we were in the middle of worship. It was winding down. And one of the guys from hospitality, he's the guys that kind of clean up and, and kind of make the, the, the rooms ready for each Sunday or each Wednesday. He comes running up to me on the front row and he comes up and he looks at me. He's like, you have to come with me right now. And I said, oh, oh my gosh, what's, what's going on? What's happening? He said, just get up. You have to come with me right now. I'm like, Dude, I'm, I'm about, I, got a, I got hundreds of kids in here. I'm about to go speak. I, I'm the only one going up there. I can't leave right now. What's going on? And he said, there is a massive hole, a kid-sized hole in the wall in the hallway. It's like, a kid-sized hole in the hallway? What are you talking about, man? I can't leave right now. He's like, kids were wrestling in the hallway, and one of them was really big, and he pushed him, and he tripped, and he went through the wall. He went through the wall. I was like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Is he okay? Is there blood? No, it's fine, but there is a hole this big in the wall. You have to come. I said, I'm not coming. I got a job to do. I can't come. So I went out after the service, and I looked, and sure enough, there was a massive hole. You could walk into it yourself. It was a big old hole. And so uh, the next morning, I found myself in a car with the senior pastor of the church. We're driving along, and um, <clears throat> I didn't bring it up, but he said, uh, he said, hey, I heard you had a little, a little excitement last night. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. A kid went through the wall, apparently. I said, yeah, yeah, he's okay, but there's, I mean, there's a big old hole in the wall. Uh, I'm really sorry. And he looked at me and he said, yep, that's why they build high schools out of concrete. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, yeah, that's why they make them tough, so kids can't go through the wall. And I was like, you're not mad? He was like, no, oh, that's, that's what happens. We want the building to be used. We want kids around. We want them to feel like they got a place at the table. We want, we want them to feel like this is their home. Isn't that cool? 
And it kind of, it, it was a philosophy that he held. Because we, listen, we had coffee stains on the carpet. And, and it was because he said, this building should be used by people. It's here. These resources are here. Everything is here so that people can use it, so that people can come and worship, so people can find community, so people can be like Jesus. It was this overarching philosophy that we had. You know about this because you have similar things in your home. For instance, you may have a, a wife who may say, oh, 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 you can't use those towels. I'm sorry? You can't use those towels. But they're really nice. Those are the guest towels. You don't use the guest towels. What do you mean I don't use the guest towels? Look at I'm, I got like a thread here. I'm drying off with a thread. Like this, this does not work. I mean, I'm doing it. I just rip some half. It doesn't even work. I want to use a nice towel. No, you can't use them. Or, or what are you doing? I'm washing my hands. Those are the fancy soap. You can't use the fancy soap. Anybody relate to this? Anybody get this? Yeah. Or, or like you're cleaning up the house. You make it ready for your family. You're vacuuming. You're cleaning up. You're cleaning up the floors and stuff. And then your kids come in. Hey, don't walk on the floor. What am I supposed to do? You want me to float across the floor? I don't understand. It's like, it's there to be used. You're supposed to use it. You're supposed to utilize the things that you have. I think that this morning, there's something that Jesus wants to say about that very idea as it relates to you and to me. So we've been camping out in this Isaiah 58 passage, and I'm not going to read the whole thing today, but I want to encourage you to, to go back, maybe over, if you've missed the past couple weeks, go back to iTunes and search One Chapel and listen to what Jesus has been doing. Or maybe go back to the One Chapel website and just catch up with where we're going because I think he's taking us somewhere. Or go back this week and read through Isaiah 58 a couple times. I'm going to read verse 17 through, um, down to through 10. Here's what it says. It says, what I'm interested in seeing you do is this. Sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this, and the lights will turn on, and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I believe that these are the kinds of things that Jesus is pushing us forward in at One Chapel Kyle. A couple weeks ago, we started talking about it and how easy it is for us to reduce the gospel down to just the things that are good for me, right? The, the, the parts that, that I like so much for myself, it kind of becomes a um, go to heaven when you die mentality. And that's what the gospel becomes for us. And it's really happened in so many churches in our country. It's kind of a get out of hell card for me personally. And we like that. It's good. It's easy to make the good news all about me. What do I get out of it? But the good news is so much more. The gospel is so much more than that. It is that. Let's not bypass that. It's important. Jesus, sacrifice on the sin, salvation, us being reconciled to right relationship with God. All of those things are the beginning. They're the crux. It is so important. We can't breeze through it because the other stuff that we're talking about doesn't work without that. So we have to think about that, but it's more than that. If salvation and forgiveness of sins was all that God was interested in doing, then you'd have to cut out a whole bunch of scriptures out of your Bible, around 2,000 of them. And our Bibles would just become weak and tattered and torn, and they wouldn't really hold together. They would just fall apart because you're missing pieces. Unfortunately, I think the American Bible has often become just that. We cut out all the pieces that had to do with poverty and injustice and the poor. It's not like we did it on purpose. It's not like we're malicious about it. But we've just kind of pushed it away because it's uncomfortable. And we kept the parts that are really good for me. 
All the things that really benefit me and what I, what I get out of this. But the kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach and to demonstrate, it is supposed to change and challenge everything in our fallen world, right here, right now. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he said in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 10, Our Father, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel, the good news, it's more about what Jesus wants to do in the world. It's more about what's up there coming down here. Heaven coming in and invading and crashing into earth. The kingdom of God is not something for the future. It's something for here and now. It's meant for here and now to change the world that we live in. The kingdom of God is not a way for us to get out of here and to leave the world. It is the means to redeem the world that we live in today. And regular and ordinary people like you and like me have access to this kingdom. We get to live in it. We get to participate with it. We get to see it brought to the earth. So with all that in mind, I want to ask you another question. I asked you a question last week, and, um, and I kind of yelled at you for a while. <laughs> I yelled at myself too. We talked about surrender quite a bit last week, but I want to ask you another question this week. What does God expect of us? What does God really expect of you and of me? In other words, what is, what is this Christian faith really about? What are we doing here? Is it about going to church on a Sunday? Or for most of America, going to church on some Sundays, <laughs> every six weeks or so? Is it about um, saying grace before meals? That seems a little silly. Is it about um, sin avoidance, avoiding sin, especially the really serious ones like cussing? <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> Is it, about, is it about praying? Is it about believing? Is it about self-denial? Is it about a list of do's and don'ts? Is it, is it about checking off uh, your religious duties through the week? What is it really about? Because if that's all that the Christian life is about, <laughs> we're in trouble. Or is God maybe looking for something else? Listen to this in Luke chapter 6, 24 through 38. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want. I'm going to read it out of the message version. He says, but it's, it's trouble ahead if you think you have it made. What you have is all you'll ever get, and it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. Aye. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you and not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden-variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? 
The stingiest of pawnbrokers do that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. <laughs> Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find, a lot, you'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find your life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. I love that phrase, and it's just been killing me this past week. <laughs> Give away your life. Another way that we used to say this with students uh, back in the day was spend yourself. Everything that you've got, spend, spend it. Spend yourself. Spend it on others. Last week, we talked quite a bit about how God asks for everything. This total life commitment, everything surrendered to him if we're going to be his followers. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 27 in the New Living Translation says, If you want to be my follower, you've got to love me more than your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And you can't be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. Do you see it? God is asking all of us to surrender everything. Nothing held back. But he doesn't just require a total life commitment from us to be his followers. Yet he wants us to surrender everything to him. But he also wants us to give everything that we have to serve other people. To give everything that you've got. To give it away to others. He calls us to partner with him in changing the world, doing the work that he's doing, making things right. Just like he called the disciples to do 2,000 years ago. I watched a TED Talk this week by a guy named David McLean. And it was a pretty incredible story because he talked about they homeschool their kids, and so he talked about they had the opportunity to take their kids out and teach them in kind of a new way. So what they did was they took uh, two years, seven countries, 24 trips, went to 200 different, different destinations. Isn't that amazing? That sounds good to me. And they wanted their boys to understand that we have a responsibility as Christ followers. We get a responsibility. A responsibility uh, that, that God, God is, is more than just asking us that you should serve other people. But in fact, he made us to do it. In fact, he, he's created you to be able to serve other people. He created you for that. So everything that you've got, your personality, your home, your money, your job, your relationships, investments, uh, strengths, your clothes, your vehicles, your spare change, your tithe, your time, your weekends, your mornings, your vacations, everything that you have, everything that you possibly could own, everything that you are, everything that we are, God is asking for us to surrender it to him. But not only that, he, he knows that it's best for us when it's used in a way that cares for people who are in need. All of that stuff is incredible when it's given away for people who are in need or is used for building up a lifestyle of serving in the community that we live in. This is the big idea that that, that guy, David McLean, was getting to. We are meant to be spent. <laughs> we are meant to be spent. Let's do a really old preacher thing and look at your neighbor and says, we are meant to be spent. Go ahead, do it right now. I hate when preachers do that. It makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know why we do it. It makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Uh, but now you remember. And it rhymes, so you know it's really good. Yeah. If it rhymes, it has to be godly. Right. So 
That's not true historically. Um, we are meant to be spent. Second <laughs> Corinthians 5.20 is so great. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Think about it for a minute. Think about it. God chose you to be his representative here on the earth to others. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Like, whenever I think about that verse, I think about, what was he thinking? Like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> like, is he okay? I mean, why would he take the risk to ask me to be a representative of his on the earth? Why would he do that with me? Because I know me, and I know that I'm not always a great representative. But as unlikely as it seems, God chose you to be his ambassador here. I like the definition of ambassador. It's an official envoy, especially a highest-ranking diplomat, who represents a state and is usually accredited to another sovereign state or to an international organization as the resident representative of their own government or sovereign or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. What? But this is a great definition. Understand it or not, this is a great definition of who you and I are. An official envoy. It means you've been given authority. You are official. It's not just you wandering around and saying things on your own. You are an official envoy of his. You, are, you represent a state. You represent something, someone that's so much bigger than you are. It's not just you. The kingdom of God is what you're representing, representing the king of kings. You are a resident representative. You live in a separate culture. It's not yours. This is not where you belong. You live in a separate and, and, and different culture. And you're special in a temporary assignment. You're called to something amazing in a place that's not your home. You're just passing through. I love it so much. Uh, he called you to do this. Man. He called you to go out. He called you to go out to proclaim the good news. No, he called you to go out and be the good news. To change the world. But this is a switch for a lot of us. Isn't it? It is for me. I know that we all know it. I know that we've all heard it. But I think it's a switch. And it's a switch that we've got to make. I thought, man, I thought I was supposed to go and read my Bible and like, hang out and uh, uh, go to church some Sundays. And, and actually, reading the Bible and praying, that's like super Christian status. That's like, that's like the really godly people do that. And so I'll do that every couple months or so like when I really want to be spiritual. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. God never intended for you and I to live out this faith privately or independently or inwardly. It's not supposed to live all in here. Jude 20 and 22. Jude verses, uh, verses 20 and 22 says, But ye, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, or Holy Ghost, if you have my background, keep yourselves, <laughs> I apologize, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Did you see the words there? Making a difference. The Bible tells you and me that we're called to make a difference, like to bring change, like to see something changed into something different. Now I get it. As soon as I say that, there's an immediate reaction in the room. Oh, no, you don't understand, bro. You don't understand. I couldn't do that. All right, that's not me. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get that people are supposed to do that. I get that there's like pastors or there's like missionaries or there's like worship leaders or people like that that, that actually make a difference, but, but not me. That's not what I do. I mean, look at me. Have you seen me? Have you heard me sing? Have you heard me try to speak? I can't even talk to people I, I, sitting across. I can't do this stuff, right? I, I don't have the ability. I got no talents. I, I'm not good. I, I don't know how to speak and I, I, I don't know how to write and I can never do what you do and um, I, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too short I'm too round, I'm too this, I'm too that. It's not me. I know there's other people that do it, but it's not me. I'm shy. 
I'm cute and shy. Like, that, that's me. Like, that's what I do. So I'm in my lane, and I'm good at my lane, and I can do it. Notice what God is not saying in any of this. He's not saying those of you who are extroverts. He's not saying those of you who have a lot of money. He's not saying those of you who have a lot of time on your hands. He's not saying those of you who are insanely talented, like Nathan Emmert. He makes me so mad. <laughs> can do anything. Those of you who are very tall and very attractive, right? I'm out. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's what's supposed to be funny. You're not supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> I thought we were friends. Um, nope, he doesn't say any of that. He says you. He just says you. He simply says you. You, you are called to make a difference in your world, in the people in your world. And there's no doubt, if you look around the world, you'll agree with me, this world needs some change. We've got a lot of stuff going on. But what do we do instead? We sit around. We watch the news. I don't care which one you watch, CNN, Fox, it doesn't matter, wherever you are on the spectrum, you're watching the news and griping about it and complaining, oh, this world, oh, what's he going to say next? Oh, I don't know, what's going to happen next? I get it, man, it's crazy out there. But so many times, it just sits right there on your couch with your remote control. <laughs> There's a big world out there that God loves, and ain't nobody else coming but you. <laughs> You're the only people. You and I are the only people in this generation to do something about it, to share the love of Jesus, to see the gospel expand into our world. And I know we read about headlines every day, and it's terrifying, man. Terrorism, ethnic tension, racism, uh, religious tension, wars, conflicts, widespread hunger and poverty, global economic turmoil, brutal dictators, corrupt governments, uh, massive natural disasters, climate change issues, nuclear intimidations, child trafficking and slavery. Like we see all these things and we read the headlines every single day and we go, I'm out. These things are too big. These things are too hard. This is too much for me. The world's problems, there's nothing I could do. It's so much easier if I could just retreat. It's so much easier if I could just peel back. It's so much easier if I could just step into the background and I'll toss up a prayer every now and then. Right. But what does God expect of us? As followers of Jesus, I, I don't think we're really given the option of turning away from the world. I don't think he gives us that option. It's not like he said, hey, <clears throat> go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. Or not. I mean, whatever. You know, whatever you want to do. Whatever's convenient with your schedule. That's not what he said. <laughs> I don't believe that he gives us the option to turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to what's happening. Now, I know that I say these things from a very biased perspective, right? I get that. Because I believe that John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. I believe that. So if Jesus was willing to die for this troubled planet with all of its issues, maybe I need to care about it too. Maybe I should love the people who live on this planet too, like he did. Maybe I have a responsibility to do my part to love the world that Jesus loves. But we get so caught up in all the other stuff. You guys know that song, Johnny Cash song, No Earthly Good? Have you ever heard it? Anybody know it? Apparently not. It's a pretty incredible song. And this morning, actually, I, I wanted you to hear it. So I want you to read these words, and I want you to hear this song, and I want you to think about it with me.
Come heed me, good brothers, come heal one and all. Don't brag about sin, you'll surely fall. You'll shine in your light, shine as you should. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No earthly good, you are no earthly good. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You're shining your light, you're shining your shield. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. If you're holding heaven, spread it around. Their hungry hands reaching up here from the ground. Move over and share the high ground where you stood. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You're no earthly good, you are no earthly good. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Move over and share the high ground where you stood. You're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good The gospel ain't gospel until it is spread But how can you share where you've got your head The hand's reaching out for a hand if you would But you're so heavenly minded You're no earthly good no earthly good, you are no earthly good. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You're shining your light right and shining your shirt. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Say thanks to Adrian. Thanks, man. It's a very encouraging word this morning. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't have you listen to that song as an indictment, or do I? So often in the West, that's kind of what's happened. We become so heavenly minded, so much about, I'm going there one day, that we've become no earthly good to all the people around our world that Jesus loves. And I just think it's a different day for us. I think he's trying repeatedly, week after week after week, to wake us up and say, you guys are the ones who can do something about this. I put you in this region, in this time, for this purpose. The Apostle James, he he talks about this in James 2.18. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. In other words, make your faith public. Let it be public. Let your faith inspire you to deeds. Let your faith inspire you to actually do some work. You're going to see my faith, he's saying. You're going to see my faith because you're going to see that working out in my deeds. Living out the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is so much more than this private interaction between God and us. The gospel itself, the whole thing, it was born out of God's vision of changed people and changed cultures. Challenging and transforming the prevailing views and practices of the world that we live in. So followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, God challenges us to embrace this. This radically different standard from the rest of the world. 
And honestly, sometimes I think that may not even be true. A lot of times you look around at the world and, and what people are doing, and they're doing some pretty incredible work of taking care of the poor and the marginalized. And Jesus is saying to us, this is what you do as a follower of Jesus. This is what you do. You love your neighbors, even the jerky ones. You love your enemies, the really jerky ones. You forgive those people who wrong you. You lift up the poor and the downtrodden. You share what you have with those who have little. You live lives of sacrifice, and as a result, your life has an effect on the people around you, just like light has an effect on darkness. Because light dispels darkness. Truth, it dispels falsehood. Goodness, it reverses evil. And that's what God has called all of us to be in this world. But I get it. Make no mistake about it. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. Since the very beginning, those people who chose to follow the Lord Jesus have struggled to live differently in a world that often rejects their values or, or mocks their beliefs. So the temptation of every generation of Christians has been to retreat, to peel back, to, to try to keep everything private, to keep our faith private. G.K. Chesterton, he was an English journalist in the 1800s, he said it this way, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Huh. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that gives up. Even still, God, he, he's called all of us to be carriers of this gospel meant to change the world. This is why everybody, that belief, just, I, I, oh, I believe, yeah, I believe in him. It's not enough. It's why worship and what we do here on a Sunday morning, it's not enough. Personal morality, keeping everything in order, it's not enough. Christian community in itself is not enough. So what if? Just ask yourself the question, what if? What if we just decided? What if all of us in here just decided we're going to live a different way? What if we decided with renewed commitment to embrace the whole gospel, all of it, and to demonstrate it through our lives every single day? You know, in, um, in, in Hayes and Travis counties, there are about 1.3 million people. And of those 1.3 million people, about 608,000, I think it is, 608,000 people claim to be Christians. What if? What if all of those people decided we're going to live out the whole gospel everywhere we go? What if? Because you've got to ask yourself the question, if there are 608,000 people who claim that they follow Christ, what difference have we really made in our world? <laughs> I don't want to punch anybody between, between the eyes. I just, I just want you to ask the questions with me. On these mornings, when I'm up here talking to you, I'm punching myself in the eyes every time. I'm experiencing this all real time with you. What have we done and, and what are we doing? Let's take it a little bit closer to home. On Easter Sunday morning, we had about 1,800 people come to one of our seven services at one chapel. What if 1,800 people decided, I'm going to live wholly, wholeheartedly sold out to Jesus and anything he wants me to do? I'm going to pray, God, here I am, use me, whatever that means. I surrender my whole life to you, but I'm willing to be spent. I'm willing to take all that I've got, my money, my clothes, my family, my house, whatever, my cars, I'm willing to spend it all on the people who need it. I'm willing to spend it all to reach the people that you love. 
who are marginalized, who are on the outside, who don't have anybody advocating for them, who are lost, who are broken, who are torn up. I'm willing to go to them. I'll do it. What happens if all of us just in this room right now decide I'll live that way? What happens? Man, I got to shut up. Um, You guys, come on up. I want to leave you with this one last quote from William Booth. He was a British Methodist preacher. He founded the Salvation Army. Some of you know about that. I think it'll be up on the screen so you can see it. He said this back in the 1800s. Not called, did you say? (laughs) You're not called? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. But what does that look, bro? What does that even look like? That's the journey we're going to go on and it's going to be a journey for all of us because we're so entrenched in this other way of thinking. But what if we all just decided this week, what if we all just decided that that this world, the world that I inhabit, the world that I live in, is the three feet of space around me? I've got a circle, I've got a sphere, three feet of space around me. What if I just decided I'm going to make a difference in that world? I'm going to make a difference in this world. And so then when I come into a coworker and she comes, don't be scared, and she comes within the three feet of space, there's an opportunity. What can I do there? I go to this coworker who's suffering, who's going through some difficult stuff in his marriage, in his life, which they're fine, by the way, but he's in my three feet of space. What can I do here? God, what do you want me to do? God, use me here. And then what happens if then you take that three feet of space and not just in work and at home and the places that you go, but what happens then if you take your three feet of space to the church under the bridge on a Sunday and you help out with the homeless? What happens if then you you step into the True Care Pregnancy Center? What happens if you step in there and and, and you bring your three feet of space, your world there, and you say, what can I do here? What happens if you go to the Hayes County Food Bank and you carry your three feet of space, your world there, and say, I'm going to make a difference in this world? Everywhere you go, every person that you come into contact with, What happens if you take your three feet of space and you say, I'm going to disciple a kid in the kids' classrooms on Sunday morning. I'm going to spend myself on those little lovelies. I'm 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 going to disciple a tag kid. I'm going to take a junior high or high school student. I'm going to be a part of what they're doing. I'm going to go help at summer camp. I'm going to be there on a Wednesday night. I'm going to bring my three feet of space in and I'm going to see God's kingdom come there. I don't know, but I just think it's a way to start. Close your eyes and bow your heads if you would, please. I just want to ask you along with me to keep asking these questions and to keep asking God, what is it that you want us to do and how can we do it and how can we follow along with you and where are you taking us? And I just want us to go on the journey together. And I think the way that that starts is we just pray some dangerous prayers. We stop 
We look around. We stop thinking, I just want to get out of here. And we start looking around to what Jesus wants to do. And we start praying prayers like, God, use me. That's a dangerous, dangerous prayer because he's got designs on you. And we start praying prayers like, God, you have a heart that breaks for this world. So break my heart for the things that break your heart. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Break my heart. Let me have a passion. Let me see compassion. Let me be moved by it. Give me a burden for these people. I think you can have a vision for people and say, oh, I got a great vision.